Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, hey, thank you guys for being here. We are uh, continuing on in Ephesians. We got all the way to like verse 3 last week. And so we are, um, I think we're going to double that. We're going to get to like verse 10 tonight. So uh, that'll, be, that'll be awesome. Um, but if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're reading verses 4 through 10. I have notes on the screen behind me. We've also got them on our app as well if you haven't downloaded them. We've got uh, pens and paper and things like that. Uh, back there on the table if you need to uh, grab that if you like to do old school and write stuff down. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's a lot in these these, uh, six verses here. Uh, We may be familiar with it, Uh, maybe it's new to us, maybe it's stuff we haven't given much thought, or maybe there's some stuff in it that we kind of ignore because it might raise some more questions than we really care to to dig in and to answer. Um, And so so tonight, I mentioned it last week, tonight we're going to talk about something, spend a little bit of time talking about something that uh, a lot of us, I don't don't know if we're necessarily opposed to it, but we kind of have some questions about it, and so hopefully we walk out of here uh, with a little bit clearer understanding but right out of the gate, we see that Paul tells us in verse 4, but even as he, what? Chose us, right? Let me put the scripture up on there. Even as he chose us for adoption. Um, now, who is the us that God has chosen? The, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we go back to the, like, verse 1, um, we see that it is the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus, right? So, Yes, saints make up the body of Christ, so which is the church. Um, so uh, in Jeopardy, we will accept that answer. Uh, but yeah, God chose um, believers. He's addressing the saints. And this word chose is, uh, um, there we go, is, uh, let me get here. I'll get there, I'm running, there it is. Uh, ekleogomia, uh, it means to pick out, to choose uh, for oneself. And so a lot of times we hear this word about God choosing, God electing, God predestining. Um, and we get kind of weird when we talk about that. Um, but before we, we get too bothered by it, let's look at, at God's track record um, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Obviously, we're not going to be able to cover every instance. But uh, in Genesis chapter 12, um, God chooses Abraham. Why didn't God choose Abraham's brother? Right? Um, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that God has chosen the nation of Israel. Why didn't he choose the Canaanites? Why do you choose them? Uh, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, even out of the Israelites, that God chose the Levites to be priests. Why didn't he choose the tribe of Asher? First Samuel 16, God chose David. Why didn't he choose his older brother Eliab? 
God chose Mary to give birth to Jesus. Why didn't he choose Mary's sister, Lisa? I don't know if she had a sister or not. But you guys, like, why, why was it Mary? Why was it not someone else? Um, Jesus chose 12 people to be his disciples. And so we see this track record of God choosing individuals, choosing nations um, for his reason. And in this, this term, uh, this idea of choosing or being chosen or electing, um, it's not a Pauline-specific term. It's not, it's not unique to Paul's letters. Um, Jesus himself uses this word, um, electos, which is this, this idea of election, um, which means chosen by God for the purpose of salvation. Um, Peter uses it in his epistle. John uses it um, in his letters as well. And so we see this, this concept of God choosing individuals consistent throughout Scripture. And now we don't ask a whole lot of questions when we talk about the New Testament of God choosing the nation of Israel, do we? Like, we don't, we don't ask a whole lot of questions. You know, it's like, yeah, God chose David. Yeah, God, the Israelites were God's chosen people. Um, but when we get to the New Testament and we read a verse like this one in Ephesians, we kind of get a little, like, skeptical. We're like, hmm, what's, what's going on here? Um, do we believe that God's sovereign? which means that nothing happens outside of his knowledge, his power, his plan, his will, right? God's sovereign in all things. Everyone say all things. It means that God's sovereign in salvation as well. Um, that, that nothing is, is happening outside of his plan, and it includes salvation. If we look at that verse again in Ephesians chapter 4, um, or chapter 1, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see that God's chosen us, that he's picked out or picked us out for himself um, and not in our own time, right? But when did he do it? We have the verse up there again. There it is. Right? Hold on. We'll get there. Oh my gosh. Still not there. There it is. He chose us for adoption to himself as sons. Where is that? Holy and blameless. Uh, before the foundation of the world is when he chose us. Isn't that interesting? That it, that it wasn't just on a whim, um, but it was before the foundation of the world. Um, that, that he had a purpose for us. And the results of, of him choosing, um, it's not based on our own works, not based on our own righteousness or our own merit. Right? The, the, reason, the, the fact that he chose us before the foundation of the world shows that he wasn't like, hey, Chris, I see that, man, you've made all the right choices, so I'm going to choose. No, no, no. Before Chris was even born, God had chosen him for adoption. Um, and it's, it's this incredible idea that that he has chosen us to be holy, which is the same word as saint in the Greek, um, and that he set us apart for his purposes, that he's, he's purified us, he's made us holy, that the righteous become, or the unrighteous become righteous, the, the unworthy sinners uh, are now worthy of salvation because we're chosen in who? In Christ. So it shows that it's not on our own, that, that we're in Christ. Um, it's not in Michael not in Foundations Church, that it's in Christ. John Calvin calls this like this wondrous exchange where Christ, out of this endless love, 
um, descended into heaven or descended into earth so that we can ascend into heaven, that, that he became mortal so that we can become immortal, that he accepted our weakness so that we can take on his strength, um, that he took our poverty so that we can have access to his riches, that he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. I think uh, um, Jonathan Edwards or somebody else uh, called it um, a glorious exchange. Maybe it's Martin Luther that called it a glorious exchange, right? That this same idea that, that Christ, through no merit of our own, has taken our sin and imparted his righteousness to us, that, he is, that we are adopted into God's family. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. Let's talk about predestination for a second. Um, this word simply means um, to decree from eternity, right? To, to, to make a, a decision in advance. Now, sometimes, do we ever get kind of skeptical when we hear this word predestination or we talk about this idea of predestination sometimes? Um, I want us to look at what buffers this kind of, this, this uh, interesting word um, as we're reading this in Ephesians. Uh, so we read in verse 5, it says, um, in anger, he pred- wait, no, it doesn't say that. It says, in greed, nope, uh, in mouse, no, no, no. Oh, there it is, in love, he predestined us. It was in love. And then what's the result? He, in, he predestined us, um, what, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. The, the ESV leaves out some words in the original language that I wish they didn't, um, but the original language would say something like, God did this according to the purpose of his goodwill. That in love, he chose us to be, to be adopted into his family according to the purpose of his, not bad will, but his goodwill. Now, if we were to put any other phrase in there, that if, he, if we were to say, in love, he saved us, according to the purpose of his goodwill, we probably wouldn't have any problem with that, would we? Oh, man. In love, he blessed us according to the purpose of his goodwill. You see, it's like this sandwich, and sometimes we think like the middle of the sandwich is not good, but the two outside parts are. And it's like, what do we not see? That, that God has chosen us in love. Why? Because it's according to his goodwill. Um, and he says that, that he's predestined us for adoption as sons. And this doesn't mean that only men can be saved. But what it means is that historically only sons were in line to receive inheritances. And so Paul is playing on this idea that everyone, right, who is in Christ has access to God. That we are all beneficiaries of, of the inheritance that's found in Christ. Men, women, right, Jews, Gentiles, that we all. That it's not just, not just one group of people, but that, that everyone, that, that we're all sons. Because if Peter said we're all sons and daughters, we're like, well, in the, in the time of writing this, Michael, daughters don't get the inheritance. And so he's just, he's, he's just saying that we're in, in this idea that we're sons, meaning that we are, are beneficiaries of the inheritance. And so um, I, was, I was looking at this, this idea of predestination, and I was like, man, why do we, why do we kind of raise our eyebrows? Why do we, we, we kind of push back a little bit against this idea? And I've got a few questions that I kind of was thinking about as I was looking at this, um, and, and maybe these resonate. I might be missing a few of them. Um, we don't have time to really dive deep into all of these questions because we could spend a lot of time on, on each one of these questions. Um, but, you know, why, why is it that we get defensive when we see that um, out of love and according to his, his goodwill that God has done something for us? Why would we not just fall down and, and 
humility and thankfulness for what he's done for us. Um, that God saw fit to call us his child so that we could be holy and blameless. And so hopefully we can try to chip away at some of these preconceived ideas or maybe some of these defenses that we put up towards this idea. Um, I think one of the first things that uh, we talk about, we talk about predestination. It's not fair. Anyone ever think that when we talk about predestination? Man, it's not fair. It's not fair. Man, I... I think that's, that assumption starts off, we're phrasing, you know, why would God predestine some and, and not predestine other people? It's just not fair. Well, let's talk about what's fair for a second. Um, let's maybe rephrase the question. Why, why is it, what have you and I done to deserve salvation in the first place? Right? So let me ask you this question. Why should God, why did God have to save anyone? Right? And so a lot of times this idea we read, God predestined us, and we're like, it's not fair. He didn't have to do anything in the first place. Like, we didn't deserve salvation at all. And it's, it's, it kind of goes back to this argument, well, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Right? And, and I've heard the response, well, there's only been one time in history where something bad happened to someone good, and he volunteered for it. That sometimes just the way that we think in our mind is just coming at it from the wrong angle. But just to, to kind of talk about it a little bit more, um, talking about the, un, the idea of it being unfair, let's, let's look at the, the, the scriptures. Proverbs 16, 4, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Isaiah twenty nine sixteen, You turn things upside down, shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verses 14 and 16. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Let me stop right here and unpack this a little bit. When we talk about predestination being fair or unfair, we have to understand that God is a just God. God is a just God. That the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's the wages of sin. That's what we deserve for our sin. That's what we have earned. And God being a just God has to require payment for those sins. He's done so, or he's done so in one way, and he's going to do so in another way. He, the, 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 the sins uh, of us are either paid for by Christ on the cross, or they're paid for us by, by eternity in hell. Like those, those, are, those are the options that we have that are on the table. And so God is a just God in the sense that he is going to do what is just. If we see a judge sentence somebody to life because of a crime they have committed, we're not going to say, that's unfair. We're going to say, no, they're they're, they're, they're um, issuing justice, right? You may not like it, but they're, they're doing what the law demands. Now that same judge could see somebody committed the crime and say, hey, I've seen that you've, you've apologized to the family. I've seen that you've done community service. I've seen that you've, you've done X, Y, and Z. And so because of that, I'm going to commute your sentence. I'm going to extend mercy. And we wouldn't have any issue with that necessarily, would we? The judge doesn't have to, but they do it. But when we look at God and we say, you know, God, it's not fair. God's saying, no, 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 I'm a just God. And I've 
the penalty for sin has to be paid. But ultimately, what he does for those that he has chosen is he extends mercy. And so, so we have to get out of this mindset that it's not fair and say, God, thank you for being merciful to me. God, thank you that you're merciful for me. Thank, thank you that you have extended mercy. I didn't deserve it. That I should be punished for my sins, but you, for whatever reason, according to your good and glorious plan, have saw fit to adopt me into your family. I don't know why. I don't know why you did it for anyone, but you did. Thank you for that. And so we have to be careful because we have to understand that God's not an unjust God. Or he doesn't, he's not, yeah, I guess unjust. I don't know if that's a word or not. But Second um, Chronicles 19.7 says, Now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Right? When it comes to judgment and the wrath of God, we don't want justice. We want mercy. We want mercy. And for whatever reason, from the eternity past, from before the foundations of the world, God saw fit to send Christ to the earth, die for the sins of those that he's chosen. And I'm beyond thankful that God has granted me this unworthy sinner's favor, benefits, opportunities, particularly salvation in Christ. I thank, you, I thank God that he's issued mercy in my case instead of justice. And we look at the story of the tax collector in Luke 18 as he's praying next to, um, next to the Pharisee. And the Pharisee's bragging, oh, I thank God that I'm not like these sinners, that I give you know, my, my offering, I do this. And then the, the, the tax collector doesn't even lift his head up to heaven. He beats his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who walks away justified in that instance? It's a tax collector, crying out for mercy, not bragging on what they did to deserve eternal life because none of us deserve eternal life. It's simply by God being merciful to us. Okay, so like I said, we're not going to have time to get into a ton of these, but another thing that we talk about when we talk about predestination is free will. What about my free will, right? Where's my say in all of this? Anyone have free will on their, their bingo card tonight? Yeah? So this is a really extensive topic. I'm not going to be able to do it justice um, because we've got some other things that we need to get on with uh, before tonight. But as we're talking about free will, um, we want to define it kind of this way, which this is a topic that's been debated for centuries, right? And so this isn't something new. This isn't some hot take from Michael. Um, but kind of the, the neatest, I guess, definition I could is free will. Um, it means that our choices are confined or limited to what is keeping in our nature. Okay? Um, for example, um, I can walk through this building to get to the parking lot. I can use the halls and the doorways. I can walk around this building to get to this parking lot. I can't fly over this building. It's just not, it's not in my nature to do. Um, and because that's not in my nature to do, my choices are, are limited. Right? That, and so if my choices are limited, is it really free will in the instance that we can do whatever we want? that my choices are influenced by, by me and, and they're influenced by other things, but it's not free. When we talk about free will, a lot of times what we think we mean is like a neutral will where there is no, no outside influence at all. And that's a lot of times what we think about when we talk about free will is that I am totally free to make my own decisions apart from any outside influences at all. 
Every decision we make is influenced by something. Every decision. The shirt that you, why are you wearing that shirt? This is my Wednesday shirt. This is the shirt I wear on Wednesday. It's the only one that was clean. I think I look good in it, right? It's the only one that didn't have a hole in it. Why'd you sit in that chair? It's where I always sit. It's the least, it's, it's the most distance between me and someone else, right? I can easily sneak out. Like we all have these instances, these, these influences that, that decide our, our choices. Um, but when it comes to choosing Christ, when it comes to choosing Christ, none of us will ever, never, ever, 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 everyone say ever, ever, none of us will ever choose Christ freely on our own accord. You're like, hold on. What I mean by that is that before Christ has called us, we are enslaved to sin. That we are in bondage to our sin nature. And we will never choose the things of God. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in, your tres- in the trespasses and sins. What can dead people do? Nothing. Stink. Rot. Dead people can't do anything. Romans 8, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That those apart from God can do nothing to please God. In our fallen sinful nature, we will never choose God. Unless God first chooses us. That's the only way that we will choose God is if God has chosen us. John 6.44 said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 15.16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So wherever, whatever you ask in, my, in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you, right? Before God called us, before this effectual calling uh, on our lives, where God has called us, where we were dead in our sins, we're hostile to the things of God, we're opposed to the things of God, we can't please God in our natural free will state, if you will, we're going we're gonna to do what's in our nature, and our nature is to turn away from God every time and choose ourselves. That's what we're going to do. But, once Christ has called us, once God, Christ has chosen us, our minds are renewed. We're regenerated, if you want to use a theological term. Um, we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. At this point, we put our faith in Christ. We return to the things of God. Now, there's this aspect that I can't reconcile, and I think people get in trouble when they try to reconcile it, where they try to say, no, 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 like, I get to do this on my own. But people are way smarter than me, and, and, I, and I looked in, in a few books, um, and, and there were multiple consensuses on this part. There's this mystery that we can't reconcile, these two parallel truths of God's sovereignty and a human response. And, and, and we get in trouble when we start to, to say, no, well, this is how it is, or that's how it is. I can tell you this, that we can't choose God unless God first chooses us, but I don't know how me putting faith in I don't know how that works in the, in, with the God being sovereign and then me putting my faith in him. Does that make sense? Well, it shouldn't because I don't understand it and a lot of people don't either. Like, it doesn't make sense, but it's still true, which is okay because the things of God are so far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. 
that, that we are fortunate enough to understand what we're able to understand, but we've got to realize there are things and truths and mysteries of God that will never be revealed to us this side of eternity. But I do know this, that God is sovereign and he calls and he chooses and he predestines. But like John 3.16, for, for everyone who believes, and the Greek actually says for each believing one, right? So for everyone who believes, so there is this aspect of human belief that's, that's, that's um, important and crucial, right? It's like, well, why do we preach the gospel? Because we're called to. We're called to be obedient and we're called to preach. How it works in the plan of salvation, if God, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing. But I know that God is still sovereign and no one is sneaking into heaven. No one's getting in. God's not like, whoa, your name's not on the list. No, no, no. God knows. He's known since the foundation of the earth. But we have to realize that in our free will, we're going to choose whatever is consistent with our nature. And before Christ has called us, no one's going to choose him. It's only until God opens up our eyes and regenerates our heart, gives us a heart of flesh, takes out our heart of stone, makes us aware of our sin and our need for him. So um, we can't take any credit for our salvation, right? We believe only because God first chose us. And if you don't like any of those, um, I'd ask you this last question. Well, how much of your salvation are you responsible for then? How much of, like 1%, 50 50 70, 30, 99.5, and we have like the 0.5. John 1, 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 1 John 2, 29. If you, would, if you, knew, if you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Titus 3, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God and a result of work so that no one may boast. I love this quote by Jonathan Edwards. We contribute nothing to salvation except the sin which makes it necessary. And every, can I tell you that everyone believes this doctrine? You're like, I don't. Let me ask you this question then. Okay. As we're praying, we start prayer. We're thanking God, right? God, thank you for blessing me. God, thank you for taking care of me. Do we start a prayer? It's kind of similar, right? Just thanking God for the things he's given us. And then we get to the part where we say, God, I just want to pause and I just want to give a shout out to Michael Ballard for saving Michael. Like, just props to God, you're lucky that I chose you. Is that, is that what we pray? No, we say, God, thank you for saving me. I mean, unless I'm wrong, unless I'm missing something. We don't take credit for our salvation. We can't. We have no reason to. Except, again, I'll go back to this. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons of God according to the purpose of his good will. It's not fair. He didn't have to do it in the first place. What about my free will? You wouldn't have chosen him in the first place. For whatever reason, he chose us. Didn't have to. Didn't have to. 
We go on to Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verses, the end of verse 6 <clears throat> through verse 10. With which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, we're going to talk about these, these few parts of redemption here um, that Paul lists out. I don't know if we're going to really hit all this verse. Next week, we'll hop into chapter 2, just so we can kind of make some, some forward progress here in, in the book of Ephesians. But as we're looking at this idea of redemption, um, we're going to look at some different aspects. We see here, and I've already got the answers on the screen, so you can cheat. Um, we're talking about redemption. Who is the Redeemer. It's Christ. There it is on the screen. Um, if we're looking at this verse in Ephesians, um, it says, in the beloved. Uh, this is the one uh, that God shows love to in regards to Christ, right? That it's in him, it's in the beloved, that we have redemption through his blood. So our Redeemer is Christ. This word redemption means that we've been liberated from one thing by the payment of a ransom. It's this financial transaction, that we are being held captive. There's a ransom that needs to be paid. We have been redeemed. Um, that we're held captive by sin, a price had to be paid for our freedom. Our freedom. Uh, in the New Testament, it's uh, deliverance affected by the death of Christ on the cross. So we're delivered from sin, right? Is that what we're delivered from? Temporarily. Has anyone seen Toy Story 3? I watch it a lot. My son loves it. Anyone seen like the end of it? where they're in the, uh, the garbage, they're in the, the dump, right? And the garbage is being, like, filtered and shredded, and the metal's being taken out, and they're on the conveyor belt, and they just want to be taken out of the trash. And so they get to the point, and they're like, oh, there's daylight at the end. Well, it's not daylight, it's this giant fire, right? A lot of times we think, oh, we're delivered from sin. Well, yeah, temporarily, but ultimately, we're delivered from the justice of God. Like in eternity, like the wrath of God, hell, the word we don't like to talk about because it doesn't make people feel good, right? That's what we're delivered from. That we've been saved from God's wrath, ultimately. Um, Galatians 4, uh, chapter, or verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Titus 2, 13 through 15, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. It's only Jesus that has the right to all of God's goodness. But because we're found in him, because he has bought us back, that goodness, that salvation is now ours. That Every Christian is a beloved child of God because Christ paid the price. So he's the redeemer. Who's the redeemed? This one's easy. Us. There we go. Uh, again, the us that Paul talks about anytime we read the New Testament, anytime we read books, it's kind of important to know the context. So a lot of times we see the us in these controversial, you know, verses. It's like, well, who's the us that he's talking to? A lot of times it's believers. Um, so it's the us. It's the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus, that we are the beneficiaries of the price that Christ paid. Paul talks about this in chapter 2, chapter 4. Um, sinless people don't need to be freed. I think we've established that none of us are sinless, so we needed freedom. Um, I could go back to the verses that we just talked about because it talks about Christ being our Redeemer and redeeming us, redeeming His children. So, 
And then the price for the redemption was what? His blood. Now, this is a euphemism for death. Um, you know, this redemption, this, this word in the Greek is, is an interesting word because it's only used 10 times in the New Testament. Um, and from my studies and what I, what I found in, in reading, that it's a very unique and an unusual word. Um, that the same word that's used 10 times in the New Testament is only found about that many times in, in almost all of Greek literature. And scholars think that one of the reasons that this word is so unique is it's used intentionally to denote a very special type of redemption. Um, a redemption that was so high and so costly that it had to be described in an unusual way and not, not the, the, the normal way that people would describe this redemption, but that it wasn't with silver or gold, but it was with the precious blood of Christ. I mean, and, and we look at, at the Old Testament, we look in Leviticus 17.11, where it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, these Old Testament sacrifices were symbolic. They're never meant to be permanent. Um, Hebrews uh, 9 tells us that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If we turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, this is almost what the whole chapter is about. Talking about the Old Testament, like the the sacrificial system was symbolic. It, It wasn't good enough that it was temporary and that Christ became the sacrifice, the final sacrifice to make amends for the sins of humanity, right? That, that this is what the ultimate goal was, that, that, you know, Adam and Eve screwed up and God was like, what am I going to do? No, that God knew the purpose and plan of Christ before he spoke the world into existence. And that the, you look through the Old Testament and you see the sacrifice and it should point to Christ. It should point to Christ. It should point to Christ saying that, hey, we now have that sacrifice that was sufficient for our sins. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb uh, without blemish or spot. And so then we see the results of the forgiveness, or the results of the redemption, which is forgiveness of our sins. Um, if we're looking at this redemption process, it's not just being freed, right? It's not just being set free, but it's also being acquitted. It's also being what the Bible would call justified being found not guilty, that there is this freedom, but then there is a wiping away of your sins. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, <gasps> there it is again, scary word, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That because we've been redeemed, we have forgiveness, we have freedom, we're able to live for the glory of God. We're children of God, we're righteous before him, we're no longer slaves to sin. Next week we'll hop into Ephesians chapter 2 so we can get on with a little bit more and, and get making some more progress in this book of Ephesians. But thank you guys for being here. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. God, thank you for your goodness, for your grace. God, thank you that you have called us and saw fit to choose us for adoption. God, according to your good and wonderful um, purpose. God, I pray that you would just help us live in a way that honors you, that glorifies you in all that we do. God, we thank you. God, thank you for your mercy. God, that was extended to us, even though we didn't deserve it. God, thank you for the gift of salvation. God, that you graciously poured out on us. 
And God, thank you for Christ who died on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back with his precious blood. God, I pray that we walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.